This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and as I said, you won't want to miss this part of the show. We have Douglas Sullivan's own Alfred Renner, who's been on our show plenty of times, and everyone's written to me how much you love him. He is the Senior Managing Director of Douglas Sullivan, and if there's anyone that knows the market, it's Alfred. Good morning, Alfred. How are you? Good morning, Dottie. Thank you so much for having me once again on your show. I really enjoy being on your show and talking with you and your listeners. Yes, and we enjoy you. I, I, uh, and I'm enjoying the nice weather, and I don't get spoiled and get used to it because I hear that New York is in for a cold winter. That's what they say. So enjoy it while you have beautiful, because we have had nice weather, really nice weather. So, Alfred... I mean, there's a million articles about real estate, and um, a lot of uh, people have asked me, and papers are calling, and they're saying, gee, when you bought a house, you know, 25 years ago, whatever it was, it was different. People could afford houses, and now prices are so high um, that people are out of the market, and they're blaming it on interest rates and low inventory, and so... And then I was reading an article, and it's, it's not about New York. It's, it's about uh, Switzerland, but I thought it was interesting. It says, uh, in Switzerland, where most residents rent for life, and uh, many young people in expensive American cities can't see a path of buying a home. They'll have to be renters for life like in Switzerland. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you say to that? Um, you know, Dottie, I, I don't think the interest rate matters as much as people think. What really matters, what really matters to the, to the buyer who needs to finance is how much is this house going to cost me on a monthly basis? And is that within my budget? And keep in mind, Dottie, everybody has a budget, whether you're spending half a million a million, five million, twenty million, everybody has a budget. And and people don't veer off of that budget very much. It's very unusual to do that. So it's the overall prices are high, which therefore makes the monthly carrying costs expensive. And yes, the interest rates went up from a low of, of two, you know, under three percent. And, but the prices have not adjusted as much accordingly. So prices still remain a bit elevated, but the cost of carrying the house is what's expensive. And what we are seeing as an alternative with many people um, in all price ranges is that more people are actually purchasing with cash. They're not financing. Yes, now, I know that nice. sounds... That sounds unusual, but it's amazing how many people are tapping into family and parents to to help out. 
Um, and so they're reaching, they're reaching outside of their own pockets to try to make that happen. Well, Alfred, you might as well have written the article in the Wall Street Journal because there was an article on Friday, November 10th, in the Wall Street Journal, and it says, luxury market bouncing back thanks to cash buyers. And it says, you know, that deep-pocketed home buyers who are paying cash to avoid rising mortgage rates are propping up the housing market. Mm-hmm. And um, and they define, you know, the top 5% of the market, and it's, it's really showing that, okay, the, the, the top two contracts this week were an Upper West Side condo that was Barbara Walters' home in Central Park, and the first week of November brought a surge of activity to Manhattan's luxury real estate market, with 24 contracts signed at $4 million or more in the week ending of Sunday, double what the previous week is. Now, I don't go by a week, but out of the 24 deals, condos outsold co-ops 13 to 7 plus, and there were contracts signed for three condos and one townhouse. So uh, what would you say? The market's doing pretty nice. How would you describe this market? Well, I, I would tell you that the month of October for Manhattan and Brooklyn was a very strong month in terms of contracts signed. It performed very, very well. Um, and what I'm seeing is a shift. Now, remember how we used to talk about the unwanted properties were those that needed renovation and nobody wants right. to touch renovation. Well, I think there is a bit of a renaissance going on. Um, what we are seeing is that there are more contracts being signed now on the, on the east side and into co-ops has actually increased. Really? And, oh, I, did a, I, did, and I did a survey um, at Douglas Elliman to ask how many, how many agents are working with buyers for Park Avenue specifically, right. and are they willing to do work? And more than 50, I had, I had about 60 agents on that one email respond and tell me that they, the majority of the people that they're working with will do renovation now. So that's a change. And by the act that people are now willing to do renovation, it's opening up the market to more property listings that are actually a better buy than staying with something that was totally renovated and paying a premium. Because people are paying like a 10 to 15% premium on a property that did not need work. Oh, that's true. Now we're seeing the shift. We are seeing the shift happen. Well, because I think, you know, as they said, millennials didn't want to do what we did like in... Hey, you know what, buy a property and say, you know, I'll redo the kitchen in a year and I'll do this bedroom over in two years and we'll do a little at a time. They want to do it all at once. But with prices the way they are, and I don't see them coming down, um, I don't see them, I, my guess is, you know, they've gone up so much since the pandemic that, you know, I think they'll just go up a little bit more. But I think that you have to compromise. And so the the game is at least you have to get into the game. And so if you have to s- sit back and say, what can I live with? And maybe I can do some things over time. I think more and more people are thinking that than saying, you know, even though, look, it's ideal to buy something that's brand new or something that's everything's done. You don't have to do a thing. But you're going to pay through the nose for that. So Yes. Uh, 
you know, we're we're all conditioned to seeing, you know, these sexy new condos, right? Big glass walls, open kitchens, waterfall marble, and we all want what we're seeing, these sexy new properties. And so for a while now, they have been in favor, and that's what people have been buying. But that the amount of new construction in Manhattan really has diminished. Um, it has not increased because the cost of construction is so expensive. So if you can't find that in your price range, people are now looking at the alternative. And the disparity between a co-op and a condo is tremendous. It be half the price, Dottie. A co-op with the same value, the same space as a condo could be half the price of that condo. And that's tremend- a tremendous difference. So as you said, you have to figure out what you're going to compromise on. If you can't spend more, then do you want a smaller property or do you want to change the location? Or do you want to buy a property that's not brand spanking new but is quite livable? And then maybe you do the kitchen and the bathrooms in five, ten years. Well, it's true. You know, and there's a report, and um, it was a study, and it was conducted by New York City real estate firm Street Easy, and they concluded that 35.7, which really was shocking to me, uh, of previously owned New York City homes on the market, it says don't get sold. Um, and it says, and the three main reasons why a home in the city may not be able to find a buyer uh, is a price. Well, one is asking price, is, and it said it should be like 1%, no more than 1% more than comparables. And uh, if it's like ten percent more, you're not you might not get a deal. And uh, they're saying that if you try to do it on your own, they always tell you to work with a professional. And I, I, I strongly believe that in that you definitely, especially in New York City, want to work with somebody who is a broker who's in New York City knows the market. Uh, you don't want to try to navigate it on your own, or go through for sale by owners. And it said, just so you know, for those people looking for for sale by owners, which they think they're going to get a bargain, and I always tell people, listen, the for sale by owners think they're not going to pay a commission, and you don't want to pay a commission, so therefore two people can't save the same commission. But for those who did list on for sale by owners, they were 37.9% likely not to sell, opposed to ones that were listed with a broker. So I think you should always list with a broker who's in the city uh, and have them do the comps and pricing, pricing correctly. But do you think that there's a, but the, the demand, uh, you know, when they say people are priced out, they just got all, they, they stopped going out there. I, don't, I, I agree with you. I just did an article of one of the papers. I said I don't think it's the interest rates. I also think there's not a lot of inventory around. There's, there's not a lot of inventory um, because people who were financed, as I pointed out earlier, at a low rate do not want to purchase something at a higher rate for themselves. So they're, so they're, not, they're not shifting. Um, and the inventory does remain on the lower side. However, the inventory that is on the market today pretty much is priced according to today's market. 
And we have seen a tremendous drop in prices from 2012, 13, 15, 2018. Some prices are upwards of 30, 35% less. And many people that are selling today that need to sell, that purchased five, seven years ago, actually are realizing a loss in, in, the, in the sale of that property. So, so wait, say that is, again. If you, you think people who purchased how many years ago or, or might have a loss? They purchased around 2012, 14 to 18, you know, in that period of time, um, many of the people that are listing today that purchased back then are selling at a loss. They're selling at 30, 35% less than what they paid for the property at that time. So that's another reason why many people are not listing their properties today because they don't want to, you know, realize a, a loss. So they'll wait. They're going to wait for the market to go back up. So price points really are very, very low today. Um, Again, even though interest rates are higher, your, per- your overall purchase is much less today than it was well, five, seven years ago. Would you say that's just New York City? It's New York. It's New York City. Um, I can't tell you that's the whole country, but no. you know, New York City emptied out at the pandemic, right? And it, you know, everyone was scared to be in a concentrate in a zone concentrated with people, so everyone left and they bought outside of the city. Um, or they rented outside of the city, whatever they, they could do. And so that, of course, the, the demand dropped, right? So if demand drops and you need to sell, you've got to adjust accordingly. But, you know, we're, we're working our way back up, even though price points are still less than what they were around 2015 to 18. Um, however, there are some properties or buildings and areas that have not only maintained their value, that has gone up in value, such as the West Village. The West Village is just always in demand worldwide. That's kept its value. 220 Central Park South, that has gone up in value. What was purchased, this, these numbers are going to sound crazy, they but are. what was purchased for 50 was sold for $80 million. <laughs> so, And when they were know, built, I was like, I don't know if they're going to get those prices, okay? They were like astronomical if you go back to when they were first yes. built. They were like astronomical, yes. and now, like, look at that. I mean, it's unbelievable. It was like when I first saw the Bristol in Florida with the Douglas Element Development, and in West Palm, the prices for West Palm Beach, really, they were just out of sight. I said, oh, they're never going to sell them. Well, a couple of people I know did buy them. They all flipped them and sold them and made plenty of money. So I think it's really a good time. I don't say that for the rest of the country. A lot of places the prices are really high um but i think you can get some good deals and you can at least negotiate with a a seller today which during the pandemic there was no way but again in new york you can't compare new york because then everybody was leaving uh the city but now it's back and there's no place like new york city so what would your advice be to people who are looking to buy I, I would advise a buyer, if they haven't stepped into the market just yet, of course go online and do your searches and, and just get a sense of what properties are like, co-ops versus condos and, and um, you know, in different neighborhoods. But 
in in my belief, Dottie, because of Manhattan is a unique market, it's a vertical market, you need to work with an experienced broker who is going to help accelerate the education process. A, you know, listen, everybody wants to save money, and I think that's the, the, the first goal is maybe we can do this on our own. And perhaps in a market where you can drive by houses in a neighborhood, that's easier to navigate yes. on your own. But in Manhattan, when you look at a building, you have no idea what's behind the walls of that building. You don't know what the financial health of the building is. You don't know what the capital improvement health of the building is. You don't know what future assessments might be like. Uh, a, a good broker will find out if your view is going to eventually be blocked or not be blocked, can find out what future construction is near the building. They will understand why an apartment that appears to be in the same line on one floor might be a lot more money on the next floor. They understand views and view breaks. The value of use an outdoor space, whether it's a terrace or a balcony, how that affects the property, all of these factors, which really take years for a good broker to um, garnish, um, can can all come out in, in helping the buyer assess what's the best property for their purchase, for their investment. Yes, and what's very important in New York City, which a lot of the apartments are in big buildings, you have to look at the financials of the building itself, see what they have in reserve, see if there's any capital improvements that they have to do, that they haven't done yet, that they don't have the money, you know, that they haven't allowed the money for. So there's a lot that goes into it, and um, dealing with a broker that knows what they're doing. And if you are selling, uh, just so you know, I've read that listings that include a 3D tour get 10% more views on their site, and listings that include floor plans get 69% more views. doesn't mean that they buy them, but they look at them more. And so you want to know when you work with your broker that your listing is put on the Internet well with everything that needs to be there, which is because everyone looks online first. I mean, that's just Right. You know, we... we we don't really have very much of a challenge with for sale by owner in Manhattan because the vast majority of home homeowners understand that it's a it's a challenging process to sell your home. It, it's it's almost a full time job, and most people in Manhattan already have full time jobs. So how are you going to answer? all the questions and have the understanding that you need to have in showcasing your property. Um, it, it's almost impossible. And there are statistics that show that people that sell on their own wind up getting less, a lower price than they do if selling with the right broker. Right. Alfred, if you stay on the line, I just want to finish up with some key things about New York City. Um, we'll be back with Alfred Renner. As soon as that break is over, five minutes, we'll be back. Talk to City and how to get into the market, and you should. It's a good time to buy you. Prices are down.
You know, my buddy Alex Cancella over at Route 22 Toyota in Hillside, New Jersey, he gave us a call to let us know that we should tell all of our friends, our family, our listeners who have been holding off on purchasing a new vehicle due to the supply limitations and price gouging that the wait is finally over. Route 22 Toyota has an influx of new vehicles and they're experiencing their highest new car inventory levels in over three years and the timing couldn't be better as Route 22 Toyota has their biggest event of the year going on right now. It's their Black Friday event and it goes on all month long. They've dropped their prices of all your favorite Toyota models like the RAV4, Camry, Tundra and the all new 2024 Toyota Grand Highlander. Call them today at 973-705-8905 from Route 22 Toyota over in Hillside, New Jersey and remember, don't forget to tell them that Joe Piscopo sent you. Call them today at 973-705-8905 during their Black Friday event going on now. We can tell you about the incredible success we bring to local businesses, but it's better when it comes directly from our satisfied clients. Here's just one example. After searching for a new vendor to handle my search marketing campaign, I contacted Salem Surround after seeing the great work they did for another restoration company in the different market. Their team of experts recommended a mix of multiple tactics designed to get my business the most quality leads at the lowest cost, making my marketing budget stretch further. In our first year partnering with Salem Surround, we recorded our best year to date, and I've told many people how blessed I was to find them. The representative answered the phone every time I called and quickly addressed any questions or concerns I had. Let Salem Surround give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and show you what your competition is doing. Then, we come up with a personalized plan that's perfect for your needs. Google Salem Surround New York and let our marketing experts help you achieve real success. Remember to Google Salem Surround New York today. Josh Edwards, a stenographer who has served for more than a thousand depositions, arbitrations, hearings, etc. I, I don't think people understand that there are lots of different kind of revenue options with court reporting. I encourage people to check it out. And Josh Edwards, you're a perfect example as to why. So we start our captioners at my company at $100 an hour, and there's a two-hour minimum per job. You know, when we send an email saying, hey, we have a job starting at 9 o'clock on Monday morning, are you free for it? Even if that job cancels within a day or if it only goes for half an hour or 75 minutes, they're still going to earn a minimum of $200 for that time slot. I encourage people to check it out. Email info at plazacollege.edu. And they have an introductory thing to just click the link and get the info. And Josh Edwards, you're a perfect example as to why. That's got to feel good and awfully rewarding. Thanks for spending some time with us. My pleasure. And, you know, I, I'm not bragging to say, but I am very happy and thankful that it has been a six-figure career every year since I started. Email info at plazacollege.edu. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and I'm talking with Alfred Renner, who's probably one of the most knowledgeable, probably one of the most knowledgeable people I know in real estate. And when I tell you his whole family, they're all real estate junkies. They know real estate all over. His sisters, it's a real real estate family. But, Alfred, before you go, I have just a couple more questions for you. Now, what about foreign buyers? Do you see them coming back? Okay, so... Um, foreign buyers prior to the um, pandemic amounted to roughly 20, 20% of all condominium purchases were, were foreign buyers. Once the pandemic hit, 
and we were we started measuring and we were selling again that dropped to three to five percent we are now and it's gradually growing so we're now at around ten percent uh of the contract signs or for condos that is body are with foreign buyers and you know what's interesting is that people that live outside of manhattan tend to stay away or shy away from co-ops because they hear that, you know, they, they're not interested in foreigners or people that live outside the city. It's not a primary residence, difficult to get in. And once upon a time, that was true. But the trend that we're seeing with co-ops now is that co-ops are asking us, what do we need to do to make our buildings more desirable to buyers? And we are seeing big changes like the financing rules have changed. You know, many of the buildings did not even permit uh, a buyer to take a mortgage out. I know. And and so now that type of a building has changed to 50% financing. A building that allows 50% financing now now allows 75% financing. So we are seeing these buildings slowly, but they're loosening up. And as they loosen up, they're going to become more and more attractive to more and more people. So I think that co-ops are especially undervalued today. And anyone that's thinking of buying because they're going to live there for five or ten years, I believe is going to be is going to be the big winner in this market. Right, and as you said, they're they're getting a lot more lenient because I I know I had somebody come up to me when I was at a party, and they were the president of a. Of a uh, a board of the co-op of a very big co-op and I, they said do you think we should loosen things up again I said well if you want to stay competitive I think you, you best do that and so you're going to see that the old rules don't apply and of course if you go to a good broker from Manhattan especially Douglas Elliman they will know the buildings that you, you most likely will definitely get into and Alfred Yes. You've been doing, you wrote a book, which I read, which I thought is great. So tell us, everybody, because I think it's a great book and you should want to read it. Tell us a little about what your book's about, which I already know I read it, and how people can get that book. So uh, thank you, Dottie. As you said that uh, I'm part of a real estate family and my siblings are brokers. Um, and so, you know, we all we do is talk real estate. It sounds terrible. We actually talk about food, too. Um, and. <laughs> and family, but we all love real estate so much that um, my sister Joanne Douglas and I decided to write a book, and I have to give her the credit for, for pushing me to do it with her. Um, it's it's uh, negotiating, um, negotiating New York, Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Real Estate, which is on Amazon, published by a division of, Sch- of Schuster Books. And um, it, it really, you know, when you start the process of writing the book, it's, you know, you have a lot of stories as real estate brokers and uh, I- unbelievable things that happen privately with between buyers and sellers and brokers. And we started with the stories, and then it was a very interesting result is that the our professional lives, the story winds up with our professional lives um, uh, paralleling our personal lives in terms of our family, friends, and, and our own real estate. And so it was a lot of fun to write the book, and I think we're obligated to write a second book, um, and we need to start that. <laughs> I know. It's a big process. 
It really is. It's a, a big process, but it's a great book, and you can get it on Amazon. And Alfred, I hope I'll see you before the holidays, or I'll see you sometimes during the holidays. And I um, yes. for sure. And please come back on again, and you'll give us an update. But just one final question. Where do you see the market next year? Do you see it the same, basically, or do you see it changing? Or I, I see the market slightly rising in a year's time. Yeah. My guess is, and this is just my guess, and I, I, my guess is when you're going to see I think we're going to see pretty much the same kind of a market for another year which is really good because I think if you're a seller you don't have a lot of competition there's not a lot on the market and if you're a buyer since a lot of buyers have stayed on the sidelines there's probably less buyers out now and there's so there's not as many transactions so you know I think you you know it's a good time to look and you should never think you could time the real estate market I'll tell you this, Dottie. Once the interest rates start coming down, and we know that they will at some point, they will start coming down, that's going to release uh, a crowd of buyers into the marketplace, which is, will then push the prices up. Oh, absolutely. I said that on, I just said it to somebody, or I read it to send it to papers. I think eventually the magic number is when they get back to like six and a half, six, uh, and they will. Okay, because right now Powell is just, he doesn't care. He wants inflation at 2%, not 2.5%. So he's going to keep things elevated until we get to exactly 2%. He's not settling for less. But you're going to see it wide open. So I believe if you're looking for a home, you should look now. And it's a lot of work because you got to, when your broker calls, you see things right away. But I think you're probably going to get your best deals now. You, I, I second that. You will get your best value and your most options, on, especially co-ops. And, Dottie, when you live in Manhattan, you are plugged into the world. You are. Okay. I, don't, I, I say that to everyone. You know, whenever you go away, sometimes you say, oh, my God, you know, I'll be in Florida. It's just the pace is nice. The weather's nice. But you come back to New York, and I go, well, you know, it's la-la land there. Like, New York is real. Everyone in the world lives there, every nationality. I, I've grown so much from living here, um, I couldn't tell you. And I think there's nothing like it. And there's nothing like you. I, so, Alfred, I'll make sure to call you right after Thanksgiving. We'll get together, and you'll have to come on right after the beginning of the year again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dottie. Have a great week. And well, Alfred's always great. I am thrilled also, and we all need this, especially I think of uh, at least me, Kathy Burns, who is a certified professional organizer and the author of How to Master Your Muck. Well, Kathy, I need your advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, Dottie. I'm sure you're gr doing great. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I have a house in the Hamptons, but I have an apartment in the city. So the house in the Hamptons is a lot easier. I have a full basement and everything. But in the city, it's tough. Um, so what... You know, so, you know, it's the holiday season. How, what, how do you advise people to prepare to organize their homes? 
Ah, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, muck is having two locations that you live in. That that will that will make muck right away without you even thinking about it. Because I'm sure you have some things in the Hamptons, some things in the city, and what's where, right? And, we, and we're, I bring the same uh, oh. things back and forth. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, you, I say, well, I'm going to leave stuff here, but then I take them back to New York because I like them. So what's your advice it, on that? Exactly. Well, you know, if you have things that you absolutely love, like you have that perfect cashmere sweater, just get two and stop worrying about lugging it back and forth, right? Uh, the things that you absolutely love. Uh, and, and that's kind of counterintuitive for what a pro organizer would say, but I, I know because I have so many clients that struggle with this, moving things back and forth and back and forth all the time is really, really a headache. Um, so that, that's, that's the first piece of advice. Just the things that you absolutely positively can't live without, have one at each location. But regarding getting ready for the holidays, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you can do. Number one, before you start, you, you create your menu if you're doing a hosting and all that. Before you even bring anything into the house, please make sure to empty your fridge, get rid of all the stuff, make room for the turkey, <laughs> make especially, That's make room true. for the things you're bringing in to prepare the big meals, and go into your pantry and do a quick check because, you know what, you might have had uh, a box of stuffing that was there from last year that you could use. So that way you don't end up with a, another box of stuffing that's just there for another year <laughs> because you had too many and weren't really sure of it. Um, another thing, too, is, you know, we have guests coming in off the time. So do a little quick checkup on your guest room. Make sure that you have room in the closet for them to actually hang their clothes. And a good rule of thumb is to have, like, at least a foot of the of the hanging rod open for your guests. Make sure they feel welcome and don't have a guest room closet that's completely full with no room for them. <laughs> that's, uh, that's another I thing. I think I better get working on that. That's, that's good advice. <laughs> what, what area of the home do you find presents probably the most organizational issues? When it comes to holidays or just in general? In general. Oh, I think the whole, the home office. The home office is always the challenge. And it's actually one of the reasons why I became, I got certified in paper flow and paper management because papers come into our life every single day and they never leave because no one teaches us how to get rid of paper, but well, papers come in without an invitation. We have a break coming up, but I'd love to continue that. Oh, and I'm writing down as we're speaking, but I'm going to buy your book, uh, which you'll tell us about, too. But we we write back with Kathy Burns. You don't want to miss it on how to master your muck. And she's a professional organizer. We all need help in this area, I think. We'll be right back. Attention all patriots, are you ready to embark on an unforgettable expedition? You're invited to journey with me on the Patriots Alaska Cruise, June 2024. We'll dive deep into geopolitical trends and unpack the influences shaping today. This experience is more than a vacation. It's a chance to participate in profound discussions and spirited debates with like-minded patriots. Seven action-packed days. We'll explore new ideas and chart a course toward a bright American future, all while 
Canal, surrounded by the raw majesty of Alaska's natural wonders. You'll experience powerful creation as you're immersed in the splendor of glaciers and fjords. Let's come together as patriots in this amazing landscape. Mark your calendar, June 29th to July 6th, 2024. Learn more and secure your spot on this once-in-a-lifetime adventure by calling 855 565 5519 or book online at patriotsalaskacruise.com. Both houses of Congress are considering legislation that will impact your favorite talk shows and news updates. The AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act would ensure that auto manufacturers won't eliminate AM radio from future car models. Over 80 million Americans, men and women like you and me, depend on AM radio for news, severe weather updates, vigorous debates on talk shows, and local information that is essential for public safety. When a disaster strikes or lives are threatened by wildfires in places like Maui, AM radio is often the only lifeline a community has. You have the power to make a real difference. The AM radio for every vehicle act is HR 3413 in the U.S. House and Senate Bill 1669 in the U.S. Senate. Please contact your senator and your congressman asking them to support this vital legislation to keep AM radio in American cars now and forever. The AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act. Act today. The Christmas Mortgage Miracle is back and bigger than ever. For five years, the Christmas Mortgage Miracle has made it possible for you to win next year's mortgage or rent. This year, we've raised the grand prize to $18,000. To pay for next year's mortgage or rent. Increase your opportunity to win when you enter up to once per day and complete optional bonus tasks. Enter the Christmas Mortgage Miracle Sweepstakes. Visit am970theanswer.com. That's am970theanswer.com. Today is Veterans Day, a day to honor the brave men and women who've guarded and fought for our freedom around the world. They are what we can only aspire to be, to lay down one's life so that others might live. Today and every day, when you see a veteran, thank them. Thank them for their sacrifice, because freedom isn't free. We send our best wishes to our American heroes, our veterans. AM 970, The Answer. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. And we're back and we're so thrilled to have Kathy Burns, who's a certified professional organizer and the author of How to Master Your Muck. And so we all need, especially me, a lot. So I was just asking Kathy, what are some of the things you do when you were talking about paper? that we get so much uh-huh. oh yes paper paper is a big challenge for everyone because it comes into our life six days a week from the mailman and that's without us even bringing in more into our life and then the thing is no one teaches us how to get rid of it right it just shows up so uh so i think that paper is you know there is no exit strategy normally for us uh unless uh, one of my clients just piles by, uh, he files by attrition, so once the pile gets high uh, high enough on his desk, he just throws it all out. <laughs> but that's not really a very effective strategy to use, in my opinion. No. So what would you suggest? 
Well, you want to have a place for your papers to land when they hit your life, like a designated place, and typically not the kitchen counter, uh, which is where the default zone is, I found, for many of my clients. And actually, that's one of the biggest uh, sources of arguments that I see between spouses is, why are the papers in the kitchen? I don't know. Why are they piled up? I don't know what to do with them. So anyhow, have a place for them to land, which is not the kitchen counter, preferably in the office. (laughs) Have a place for them to live when you need them. And while you need them, be able to find them. And then most importantly, have an exit strategy. Have an idea of when you're done with them and get them gone. Get them out of your life when you no longer need them. And that's where most file systems fail because typically people will throw stuff in file drawers and 80% never see the light of day again. They never come out. So then we're like, oh, we need to buy another file cabinet. I, I know one of the things that I, I struggle with is how long do you keep things? Like, in other words, receipts and things like that, like a year, two years. I mean, I, I do, do you have a pile of old receipts somewhere? I mean, I, you know, I, I have a problem with that. I, I don't know how long should you keep things. So what I've done, and I don't say it's a perfect thing, is I've kind of just took folders and I've labeled the year and I threw everything in them. And that's not really organized, but it's, at least away from my current things. Is there any suggestions you have? Yeah, you know, and I give you kudos on that because people don't even do to the year. So you're like five steps ahead of the normal person. (laughs) Go, 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 go. So what you want to do is you only need to keep the receipts for a long amount of time for the ones that you're putting on your tax return, for the the tax return write-offs, right, if you have a Schedule C or whatever you have. So if you do have receipts that are noted as an expense on your tax return, file them with the tax return and put them out of your life after you filed your return. That way it's right there stowed away. Now, you know, it's very gray. Three years, seven years, IRS does not have really have any really specific thing for how long you need to keep things. Um, the system that I use, I just have people keep it for 10 years because it's conservative and it's an easy flip. So you have your file system with your receipts. You're keeping 10 years worth of tax returns and receipts. And it's easy because... Take, for instance, 2020 is tax year zero. 21 is tax year one. So when you come back around to zero and it's 2030, you know you can shred all that stuff. So that's how I recommend, you know, the whole idea is keep it simple. But I, if you have receipts that have nothing whatsoever to do with your tax return, just pay the bill and get it, get it out of there, shred it. Because if you want to find if it was paid or whatever, you'll be able to find it pretty easily on your credit card statement or your bank statement or something like that. Um, that's my recommendation. Now, some people say, well, I need, I want to keep those utility bills. You know, they're retired. They don't even have utility on their expense report. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they might want to keep it. Then they can keep it for a year and then just get rid of it. So that's where it would come in, Daddy, where you'd say, okay, utilities for 2022. And, you know, it's 2023. It means you can shred the old ones. So that's one way to handle that. But, you know, you're not alone because no one teaches us what really to do with these receipts. But that's what you do is file the receipts that are on your tax return with the tax return. And is it, do you think it's uh, easier in a larger home or like or smaller than when you have small headquarters, you know, small apartment or something? obviously well you know there there's pluses and minuses whenever you have a small space 
you're much more optimized. You have to spend a lot more time trying to figure out where things are going to live, how you're going to keep them organized. And when you have a large home, sometimes it can just get out of control because you have all this space and then you haven't made any real clear decisions about where things will live. I have a lot of clients that move into giant homes and then there's so much space that they have papers in five different rooms. (laughs) because they haven't really decided where they're going to work as a home office. So, you know, there's pluses and minuses to being small and being large, for sure, or living large and living small. So, Kathy, let me ask you two questions. First of all, how did you become an expert in the field of organization? And then I really want to talk about your book, where we can get it and what, you know, and what, what to expect from it. So how did you start? How did you get involved to begin with as a professional organization? All right. Well, it's. I'll try to make this quick. I've had seven careers. One of my career, I was a licensed boat captain because I wanted to learn how to wow. sail. Or I actually, want, I actually wanted to pay to sail. Right. So I got my license so that I could get paid to be on the seas. Well, when I was doing that, I was living out of a duffel bag. Right. I was away from land, and at that point, I remember I was in the middle of the Gulf Stream, thinking to myself, looking back, this is way before I was an organizer. What's really important to me? And I'm thinking to myself, nothing. Like, there's one thing that I would even care about if my whole apartment was was gone. So I think that was the beginning of realizing how little stuff one needs to actually operate in the world. Right after I did that, I became a travel writer. And I had Wonderlust, in case you could tell. And I was living out of a suitcase, and I was traveling 42 weeks a year out of a suitcase. Again, I realized that nothing in my life had much value or didn't mean anything. When I reinvented myself finally a few careers later, I'm like, what What am I good at and what do I like? And I'm like, oh, I love change, right? I love change, and I realized that being minimal is a good thing. Well, how do I help people change? Ah, I can help people change by helping them remove the obstacles in their life in the form of clutter and environmental stuff. So at that point, that's when I said, I'm going to be a professional organizer and an image consultant because I'm going to work on their external environment, help them be able to change with less fear, because a lot of people are afraid of fear, by doing it on a non-invasive way. Like, let's just clear some clutter. Let's just clear out that closet, right? So that's, that's how that all happened. And you know, really, my career is about helping people change with less fear and more grace and doing that in a less invasive way than like psychotherapy or whatever. I mean, that all has that has a place in people's lives. But if you're not, uh, if you just want to move forward, just get rid of some stuff, really, and learn how to change with grace and with ease and not be afraid that, oh, if I throw something out, I might need it someday. Like, get over it. And just well, learn how to change. <laughs> I can tell you with clothes, I look at things that I know f- from reading that you, you know, if I didn't wear it for five years, I'm more than likely not wearing it uh, the next five years. But then I say, oh, gee, but it, like it's spe- I spent money or I kind of like it. So just choosing what to throw out. But for me, um, and I, I just would think that this is with all your clients, for me, you know, the world is so chaotic outside. So when I come home, I really want my home to have some, you know, to be like organized and neat. And it makes my mental state better than to see a place that's got stuff all over the place. Absolutely, positively, yeah. 
So tell us, okay, you wrote this book, and, and I, I have to get it because uh, I'm a perfect person for it, but I think everybody could use it. Uh, so tell us uh, what we're going to learn about that. From okay, well, How to Master Your Muck is the first book that I wrote, and it is actually set up for, uh, for small business owners and entrepreneurs, and I talk about all the systems that you need to create in order to be effective as a business owner. So that's How to Master Your Muck, Get Organized, Live Your Purpose, and Add Space to Your Life. Uh, that is a wonderful book for anybody that's been in business or is going into business that will help them really clear the way to greater success. That's what that book's all about. I have several other books that I've written, but that's How to Master Your Muck. So that, and, that tells you really how to set your and organize. And, you know, something for myself, I, I, I'm on the, 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 the phone with my assistant all over because he's got things all over the place. And I'm like, well, I need to find a file that has everything in it. And, you know, I think it's a good thing for even people who work that have businesses and have assistants because a lot of times your assistant's putting things in places. And I like to know that this is a folder that I can find what I need here or here's, what, here's a folder that I have all my speeches in. So I don't think anyone teaches people that. And I think that's so important. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's why I wrote the book because as, as a, so, you know, serial entrepreneur, no one taught me all this stuff like, how long do I keep a piece of paper? Just like we were talking about earlier. What do I need to keep? Where do I find it if I need it? I mean, the average person spends, loses four hours a week trying to find documents that they know that they own, they can't find. Just like you said, you know, I'd like to have this thing in a folder. I'd like to know where the folder is and be able to pull it. So even if you're not an entrepreneur, uh, chapter one is all about paper flow and how to deal with the daggone papers that are floating around in our life so that we can find them and not waste time trying to find stuff. Because, you know, time's finite. It's the only thing that we have. We're coming to it and you have to come back on again. And where can we get your book? On Amazon? Uh, you can go to organizedandenergized.com and go to the shop page and you'll see how to master your muck. You'll see all the different other books that I've written. So just go to organizedandenergized.com and you'll see, go to the shop page and you'll, it'll all be right there. There's also a free download. Yes. Thank you, Kathy. And I'll, hopefully you will come back because we have a lot more we can talk about. Have a great week. Yes, we do. And thank you for being on our show. Everyone, we'll be back next week. Have a great week. I'll be back next week. The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated.